Isaiah 62. This is the chapter in the book of Isaiah where God's Calls, God calls his people his delight. Isaiah 62, verse 1 to 12. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for, for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you. And your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm. I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies. And foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner shall eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go. Through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sowed out, a city not forsaken. Amen. Let's pray. A gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, once again we ask you to feed us upon your Son, Jesus Christ. Feed us by that bread of life. Use the preaching of your word tonight to conform us to the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. To give us hope and confidence and encouragement in you, our God. So that all of us together as your church would press on 
to that higher prize toward heaven where we all together will dwell with you forever and ever. Bless the preaching of your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In our consideration of the book of Isaiah, together we have been learning a number of good spiritual lessons for our Christian life. One of them has been, who are the true people of God? What does true belief look like? When the Lord was dealing with the people of Israel, before exile and even in exile and after exile, what God was teaching the people of Israel was what it means to be a true believer. What does true believer look like? And there are two important lessons that you and I have been learning so far from chapter 1 to 61. True belief looks like clinging to God's law. True belief looks like loving the Word of God. True belief looks like rejoicing in all good things that God has done for us. You see, God has done many, many good things to the people of Israel. They were not grateful. They were not faithful. And over and over again, God was telling them through the prophet, be thankful. Rejoice in my goodness and in all good things that I have done for you. And in our text tonight, the lesson is, True belief in God looks like praying to God and working for God. I want to encourage all of you, when you go home tonight, read Isaiah 62 again. And these two things will become very plain to your mind and to your heart. True belief in God looks like praying to God, and working for God. Why? The first thing I want us to consider tonight is because God is 100% on his people's side, on our side, his people must pray to him. Listen to what God told the people of Israel in verses 1 and 2, and then verses 6 and 7. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for, for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And he shall be called by a new, na new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. These two verses shows you that God was with his people 
on, his, uh, on the side of his people, 100%. And then in verse 6 and 7, he tells them this. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. I am 100% on your side, so knowing that, pray to me. See what God is telling them? I am on your side. I am for you. I'm not against you. I am for you. But knowing this, I want you to pray to me. I want you to ask me to bless you and establish you forever. You see, one of the, the dilemma that the people of God, the people of Israel, were having in their Christian journey was this. God is against us. God is not for us. He's not listening to our prayers. He has forgotten us. God is not hearing our prayers. He is not fully, 100% on our side. He is not attentive to our cry. Have you been there? Have you been, have you been there as a believer? Have we been there as a church? We come to the point in our life, individually and as a church, where we say, I don't think God is hearing our prayers. I don't think God is for us. Based on what we see around us, based on what we see taking place around us, I don't think He's for us. You know, one of the things that children want to know as they grow up is that their, their parents are on their side. That they are for, for their children. I know this from my own children. You know, children want to make sure that you are for them. You are on their side. Whatever happens, you will be for them. When you dig below the surface in chapter 62, Isaiah, most Christians struggle that God is 100% for them. There are times in our Christian life, privately, individually, and as a church, we, we struggle whether God is for us or not, whether God is acting against us or for us. And the reason behind that doubt and uncertainty is sometimes, even believers, we incline toward measuring the level of our safety, peace, and spiritual prosperity by how well we perform in the Christian life. We whisper to our own life saying, oh, God is not for me. God is acting against me because this week I haven't done much when it comes to prayer, worship, private devotion. So I, I think he's punishing me. I think he's against me because my performance was not good enough for God to bless me and hear my prayers. 
So our safety, our, our, our blessings somehow are based on how good we are. You see? Then what happens is we become discouraged to pray. We stop praying. We feel miserable as we live the Christian life. Because we are not happy with ourselves and how we are performing in the Christian life. But our text tonight clearly shows us that our, our personal and communal, you know, joint uh, peace and security and spiritual prosperity does not rely on our own performance before the Lord, but on the fact that God is always on our side. Notice verses 1 and 2. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. Now listen to verse, verse 2. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name and the mouth of the Lord will, that the mouth of the Lord will give you. And then verse 3, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. Jerusalem, my people in Israel, you, 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 think, you think I have forsaken you. You think I'm not thinking about you. You think I'm not on your side. But I'm going to make you beautiful. The crown of beauty. I will not be silent until the whole world has seen the salvation and righteousness that I have given to my people. Not your righteousness. Not your goodness. But the righteousness that I have given you as a gift. You know, the work of my grace, the work of my love, the work of my grace, my, my mercy will be shown in your life. And people will say, look. The love and the grace and the mercy of their God in heaven exceeds their weakness. Their unfaithfulness. The God of these people is real. The God of these people is love. Whatever we do as believers, individually and as a church, it is for the glory of God, you see. It is for people to see God's glory in us. Not our glory. But God's glory being manifested in us and through us. You know, all the covenant curses in Deuteronomy 8, you know, God here is telling his people, you know, all these covenant curses came upon you because of your sin. And they, they came upon you uh, uh, for one time. They will come once, but then I will safeguard you. I am on your side. I am for you. I'm not against you. Now the question we need to ask is why? Why is God saying what he's saying in verses 3 to 5? You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, 
and a royal diadem in the hand of your God, you shall no more be termed, forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed, desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you. You know, those of us who are pastors, there are things that we ask young men who come to us and they tell us, you know, I'm, I'm in love with this woman. She is walking with the Lord. She's a Christian. She's a believer. I'm planning to marry her. And then one of, one of the questions that I always ask to, to young men who approach me uh, with that plan is, tell me, tell me more about her. You know, it, it, it sounds like she's your delight. So tell me more. Oh, she's beautiful, she's kind, she's gentle, she loves the Lord. I think she's going to make a wonderful home for me. So, so they, they count all this goodness that they have seen in, in the life of that woman whom they want to marry. Now, go to God and ask God, anything that you love about the people of Israel? List, you know, any good qualities. Well, you know, they abandoned my law. They worshiped false gods. They have forsaken uh, my grace. And they don't worship me anymore. They don't trust me anymore. They are not kind toward one another. They don't love the poor. They don't welcome strangers. They are terrible people. And yet... I love them. That's my nature. I love them. I love them and I'm going to transform them. I'm going to convert them. I'm going to make them new people. So that nations around them would see the beauty that I have created in their life. And they will come to me seeing what I have done in the life of my people. Isn't that what God told the people of Israel, beloved, in Deuteronomy 7, starting from verse 6? For you are a people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, you know, I, I'm loving you because I am the God of covenant. If your salvation depends on you, you are already condemned. You are already lost. But because of who I am, because of my nature, because I am um, a covenant keeper God, I am on your side. So pray. 
Pray when you're surprised with things around you. Pray when things, when, when it seems that, that things are not going as you expected them to go. Pray when you pray for family members, you know, to be converted. And you pray, you pray, and they are still unbelievers. So what do you do? You stop praying? No. If you know God is on our side, you keep praying. Why did Jesus tell the parable to his disciples, our brother Rich? read that parable to us in Luke 18, so that they will not stop praying. The, the widow was a, you know, a persistent woman. She kept praying, 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 knocking, 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 asking, 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 and the judge said, if I don't give her wish, I'm not going to enjoy sleep. And listen to God. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. Pray. Pray. It's a command, you see. You see, you see that in verse... Um, Six, on your walls of Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. Now, now a word of encouragement to all of us. Sometimes, when those of us who pray together are few in number, inside of us thinks, I don't think we are praying enough because we're just few. No, there are people in the church whom God have called by his Holy Spirit to be prayer warriors. God didn't wait for the people. He assigned watchmen in Jerusalem to pray. Don't worry. Maybe we don't know them. Maybe they don't talk about it. But you need to know that there are people in Christ church who always pray without ceasing. And they cry. They cry, they cry until God establishes his church. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. Even in their sleep, they pray. Even when they eat meal, they pray. Even when they are working, they pray. Day and night, the church, the temple, the people of God are in their heart, in their prayers. They pray, they pray, they pray. And God is saying, join them, knowing that. Pray. Give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. Now, secondly, 
because God is on his people's side, we work for him. We pray to him, but we also work for him. Verses 10, go. The, go, no, go, through, go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up. Build up the highway. Clear it of stones. Lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So God is telling his people to do two, thing, to, to do two things. First, I am on your side, always. I'm for you. So pray to me. And pray without ceasing. And if we want to apply this in our Christian life, individually and as a church, the application would be, let's keep praying. Let's keep asking. We have no reason to be discouraged from praying. So let us commit ourselves to prayer. We pray because he's on our side. Secondly, because he's on our side, we work for him. Now, in the case of the Israelites, the first thing he tells them is this in verse 10. Go through, go through the gates. What does that mean? Leave Babylon. It's time for you to leave Babylon. And go back to, to the temple in Jerusalem. And serve me, worship me, work for me. So the first thing God tells us in our case is what? Babylon is a picture of sin. So live sin. Live sin. Forsake sin. Worldliness. Sin. Anything that displeases God in your own Christian life, in the church, be set apart for God. Live sin. Forsake sin. Resist sin. The devil, the flesh. This is our sanctification. And God is always pleased with our sanctification through the work of the Holy Spirit. So, first, we forsake sin. And then we proclaim God's salvation to others. You see, go through, go through the gates and then Prepare the way for the people. Now, if you don't forsake sin, and then you and your sin, you prepare the way, people will not come to you because they will see sin. They will see worldliness. But if you forsake sin and prepare the way, Tell them about God's salvation. Then they will come. This is a call to action. A call to proclamation. That's why we need to pray. You know, every time the, the word of God is proclaimed from this pulpit, we need to go home and pray that God would use it for his own glory and effectively for the salvation of sinners, for the growth and edification of his people. 
So we live, we proclaim, we become workers for God, servants of God. We worship Him, we tell others about Him, about His salvation, about His goodness. We pro proclaim, God said, prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. So God was telling them through Isaiah, my salvation is not going to stop only in Jerusalem and within Israel, but till the end of the earth. Till the end of the earth. That's why, that's why we are in China. That's why we are in Uganda, Ethiopia, Eritrea still praying to be reopened for our missionaries. All these mission fields. But you don't, not, you don't need to go far. That's why we are in Clarkston. Because, you see, God told us to, to do what? To get to work. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Once he embraced grace, mercy, salvation, in Philippians 13, 13 and 14, Paul said this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I tell you, there, are, there were many, many things that were laid behind the Apostle Paul. But you don't see the Apostle Paul living in the past. Instead, he says, forgetting what lies behind. We don't dwell in the past. We just leave it to the Lord by faith and straining forward to what lies ahead. And then he said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus in heaven. And this is how you and I should encourage one another. Every time we meet as brothers and sisters in Christ, Yes, we worship God. We partake the, the ministry of grace together. And that's important. And that's the central part of our Christian life and why we are in the church. But every time we meet for worship and fellowship, one thing that we need to ask ourselves before we go home is I was talking to so-and-so, my sister in Christ, my brother in Christ. How did I help him? How did I help her to press on toward this higher prize, which is heaven? Heaven. Because, beloved, our friendship is grounded in Christ. 
and it will go until heaven. That's why we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we call ourselves church family. God is our father. The church is our mother. We are family. And whatever happens, what do we do? Knowing that he is on our side, we pray. Knowing that he's he's on our side, we work together. We get to work and we do what? We press on. We press on toward, toward heaven. Other things will be provided by our God. But we fix our eyes on Christ and what is preserved for us in heaven. So let me press this upon all of you tonight. They are simple, but they're they're very powerful. God is 100% on our side. Let's pray. God is 100% on our side. Let's press on. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, as you have called upon the people of Israel to pray and to serve you, we now ask you to grant us the Holy Spirit so that we too would know and become confident that you are God, you are always for us. And knowing that, help us to become diligent and effective in our prayer life individually and as a church. And also help us knowing that you are always for us to press on in serving you and worshiping you and proclaiming the good news of the gospel to the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.